Thank you, Eric. Thank you, band. Good morning. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful morning. It's great weather if you're a duck. So good to see you this morning, and it's so good to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Martin, and I have the privilege every once in a while of filling the shoes and, and standing in the pulpit for Buddy, and uh, as he's away this weekend, what a great privilege that is to be back with you again, so thank you for having me. I love, too, that this series that we're in where we're looking at serving and we're really trying to understand as followers of Jesus Christ what it looks like to follow in his way, to follow in his steps as he served, as, as he was the ultimate humble server. And last week, we saw a number of things, and, and one was we looked at this illustration on the screen of in John 13, where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, this incredible account. And we talked about how that was a demonstration of the ultimate humility and selflessness how Jesus, seeing the need in the room for the feet to be washed, he left his seat, he left his place at the table, his comfortable position that he was in, and he took on the job of the most humble servant. Just an incredible account, an incredible example for us as we, as we long to serve in that way and to serve as he did. We saw how despite all the chaos in his life, I mean, this is hours before his arrest. It is the culmination, it was the culmination of three years of condensed ministry. He was busy. He had a crucifixion and a, a brutal arrest and all of that facing him. And yet he chose to do this countercultural thing of serving and washing the disciples' feet. And what would be one of his final teachings to his closest followers? He left them with these words, do as I did for you. And what a powerful example. I challenged us last week to do three things that, as we saw this and as we looked at this example. And the first was to do this, to humbly before God pray and just say, Lord, what would you have me do with this? Where have I fallen short in modeling this way of Jesus. Secondly, I, I challenged each of, each of us to look at our calendars, to find places in our calendars that we, where we are being selfish with our time and, and possibly looking at opportunities that we could have where we could serve, where we could be selfless and put things on our calendars, say no to some things so that we can say yes to others. And then thirdly, to reach out, to do something with what we've learned. Reach out. Maybe it's a need in the community, or maybe it's a need at church, or maybe it's a need with a ministry you love, but to reach out and find a way to serve if you're not serving already. And then I want to I wanna leave you with this, too, before we get into this week's passage. This was our key takeaway last week was this, when we selflessly and sacrificially serve others, we enlarge their lives and show them the love of Jesus just as he demonstrated the same for us. We're gonna continue that theme this morning where last week we looked at what it means to put into action 
Jesus' example. He, he left these words, do, these action words of do, go, do as I did for you. This week, we're going to be looking at the other side of that. We're not going to be looking at the action. We're going to be looking at the attitude, the mindset that Jesus had, and how we can incorporate those same attitudes, that same mindset, that same heart that Jesus had for serving, the same motivations that he had, how we can incorporate that into our lives and how we can serve that way. And that way, that way of life that Paul is going to refer to, he, he refers to it this way. He says, living a life worthy of the gospel. Living a life worthy of the gospel. So with that, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read from God's word this morning, our passage, which is found in Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to read verses 1 through 11. The verses will be up on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you, so you can follow along that way. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. What a powerful passage that is, and there's so much for us here this morning to look at. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2 begins with a word, and it's a very important word, and the word is, therefore. And whenever we see the word therefore in Scripture, we have to ask ourselves, what is therefore there for? What is Paul referring to that he says therefore? He's referring back to chapter 1, verse 27. And let me read that for you because this is where the therefore, this is where this teaching begins. And he's saying with this in mind. 
Chapter one, verse 27 says, only conduct yourselves, and other translations say this, live your life. Conduct yourselves, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And what Paul is describing in verse 27 is living a life worthy of the gospel. He's showing us what that looks like. And he goes on to tell us that it is essential for us as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side, arm in arm, striving together. When he hears about them living this way, when he says to to the Philippians, he says when he hears that they're living this way, he will know that they are living a life worthy of the gospel. And this gospel, by the way, that Paul has risked his life for, he's personally sacrificed everything. He's laid down his life. He has sacrificed his safety, his security, He sacrificed his life's work, his status as a Pharisee, a Pharisee of all Pharisees he he talked about himself. He sacrificed all of this for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying to the Philippians, these believers that he has led to Christ, he's saying to them, make it all worth it. All this that I've sacrificed, make it all worth it for me by living in harmony with one another. One mind, in harmony, united. And it's so important for us in the year 2023, a couple of thousand years later, to see this and to understand this passage that Paul alludes to. He goes on in verse 2 of chapter 2, and he says, Make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and then he says, an intent on one purpose. And we know now that that one purpose is what he was referring to in verse 27, living in harmony with one another. Here's the point this morning that I want us to emphasize, the, the kind of big takeaway. A life worthy of the gospel for you and I as followers of Jesus, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ is a life lived in harmony with one another. The Life Essentials Study Bible, it's a Bible uh, study Bible that uh, Gene Getz has, has put together, and Gene's got a number of videos in there. I love how he summarizes this passage as a principle to live by. He says it this way, to live a life worthy of the gospel, we must live in harmony with one another, demonstrating Christ's attitudes of unselfishness, humility, and self-sacrifice. So the progression of this passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, begins with Paul laying out our purpose, laying out the purpose of the body of Christ, and that is living in harmony. That's the purpose that Paul gives us early on. 
Then he's going to move on and he's going to describe the process, what that looks like to live in harmony with one another. And then thirdly, he's going to go to driving this point home by demonstrating through Jesus the example that Jesus left us, the ultimate example, and that's how he's going to finish out this passage. In verse 3 and 4, Paul's going to describe the process of living in harmony, what that looks like. And he says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. I mean, to do what Paul's commanding here, by all human standards, is impossible. It's an impossible task. I, I read those words, do nothing from selfishness, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> check, my, check my own motives and attitudes here. It's not even possible by human standards to do nothing from selfishness. We are selfish people. Our sin nature is selfish. And it feels like it's a bar too high that Paul's setting here. But Paul's laying out this example for us that's set by the perfect one, Jesus. He lived this way. He, he did nothing from selfishness. That is our standard. That is the bar. That is what it means to follow the way of Jesus to do what he did, to, to think like he did, to have an attitude like he did. I think Paul knows that you and I can't live up to that standard, but what he's imploring us to do is he's imploring us to strive for that. He's imploring us to work on this, to continue to set the standard of our lives for living this way, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Will we 100% of the time be able to do this? Probably not, but I believe Paul knew that when he wrote these words because later on, when we peek a little bit beyond the passages that we read in verse 14, Paul uses this phrase. He says, work out your salvation. Strive to make this your attitude. Make it a permanent fixture in your life. Work out your salvation just as Christ has shown us that. He goes on in, verse, uh, in these verses three and four to say, regard one another, you and I in the church, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have you ever known anyone who did this really well? Have you ever kind of observed somebody else who lives this way. I, I've been fortunate enough to have a good friend of mine for the last 15 or 16 years, a guy by the name of Greg. And, and of all the people that I know, Greg most closely exemplifies what this looks like. It's amazing for me to kind of observe him in action. And it just seems to, to come so natural. He just naturally puts other people before himself. 
He's always living that way and always doing that. And honestly, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes, and I'm a little ashamed to admit this, it's almost annoying sometimes. I mean, I, I kind of look at him, and, and what I mean by that, by annoying, is it, I'm annoyed for him. Like, I feel like, Greg, you're, you're allowing these people to take advantage of you. Sometimes it feels that way to me. And I realize as I've been going through this, this passage this week, like the Lord has convicted me of that. It's like, no, I've put this friend in your life to help show you how to model this. And I love that. And I've been convicted by my own annoyance uh, sometimes about this. And I find myself at times wanting to say to, to my friend Greg, don't let them take advantage of you. But he thinks differently than I do, and I really do. I wish I thought more like that. I wish I reacted more like that. And I know this, the people who were on the receiving end of Greg's kindness, of his selflessness, the way that he serves them, they feel completely loved. They feel completely uh, like they are being taken care of. And what Greg is showing them, this kindness that he shows them, that it's not about him, it's about them. He's doing it for them. And, and Greg is a great example. Greg's an imperfect human, and I'm sure there's times he would even admit and tell you that he does some of these things selfishly because we're all flawed in that way. But that's how Jesus lived all the time. That's how he reacted. That's how he interacted with people. And that's why his ministry was so effective why it was so contagious, because he did this so well. It's also why the early church became so viral and exploded onto the scene is because they lived this way. I mean, we read in Acts 2, 44 through 47, we kind of read, we get a hint about how they lived, and it uses words like, they had all things in common, Day by day, they were continuing with one mind. That's what the early church was doing, and that's why it was growing the way that it was growing, because people were looking at it and observing it and saying, I want that. I want what those people have. I want to be loved like that. It's viral, and it's, it's why... Paul is imploring the church in Philippi, and why he's, he's teaching this to us is because that's what Jesus did, and that's what people are going to see and observe and be drawn to is that kind of love. Paul uses Jesus in verse 5 as the ultimate example of the mindset and the attitude you and I should have. In verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This passage is often referred to as the great kenosis passage. This phenomenon of Jesus, the Son of God, the, the part of the Trinity emptying himself. 
The Greek verb used here for emptying himself is ekonosin. The noun form of that word is kenosis, and it basically describes this conception of the incarnation. God taking on human flesh, emptying himself of all of his glory that he had in heaven to come to earth to take on the humiliation of humanity. Paul is saying here, if Jesus, being God, with all his glory, was willing to give up heaven and all the honor and glory that existed for him there and to take on human flesh, taking the form of a servant, a humble servant, in the likeness of men, you and I as his followers should all the more be willing to do the same. Jesus not only gave us that example over and over again in how he lived, he also promised and does, he empowers us to live that way. Can we live that way, doing nothing from selfish ambition, empty conceit, not on our own, not functioning from a place of human instinct and cultural norms that we live in, only when you and I deny, when we deny our bent towards entitlement and selfishness, and we are transformed by the love and power of Jesus Christ, can we do that? Can we live that way? And when we do, when we collectively, as the body of Christ, as believers, live that way, when the church, capital C, lives that way and does this, we are going to be showing a watching world a very uncommon, unworldly kind of love that they are going to be drawn to. Why would we do this? Why would we live this, this way? Why was it so important? Because a world is watching us. And a world will be drawn, just like they were in the early church, non-believers, everyone will be drawn to this kind of life, to this kind of love, because we all were created by God to be loved this way. Finally, in verses 9 through 11, Paul gives us a further illustration of what, is teaching, what he's teaching these believers as they desire, like we do, to follow the way of Jesus. He says this, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns one day, and he will return, it won't be an entrance like his first appearing. His second coming will be a time when Jesus will come full of his glory, full of his existence as Lord and King, and this will be on full view for everyone to see. It will no longer be, as it is today, a choice to bow before our Lord and Savior, our King. It will no longer be a choice. Everyone's reaction, believers, non-believers, 
Everyone's reaction will be to bow their knees to Jesus. It will automatically happen. His second coming won't be an incarnation. It will be a coronation. It will be a coronation of the one true king. In chapter 17 of of the book of John, Jesus prayed at the end of his earthly ministry for ultimate harmony and ultimate unity of the church. And the church is described as the bride of Christ. Listen to his prayer to the Father, Jesus' final prayer for you and me as his followers. Verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know, let me say that again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Paul is pleading with the church. He's pleading with all of us, even today, to choose to live this way, the way that Jesus prayed that you and I would live, to live unselfishly, to put others' interests before us, to put our preferences aside, to put our desire for self and self fulfillment, to put those aside and to show the world a way of living that Jesus modeled, denying himself, emptying himself for the sake of others. Paul is telling us he wants us to selflessly serve and lay down our lives for one another, just like Jesus did. Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians, He had a similar thing to say in Galatians chapter 6. In verse 9, he says, So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So how about us? As we reflect on these passages, on these commands that we're given in Scripture, when it comes to serving others, when it comes to putting one another's interests above our own, how are we doing? How are we doing individually? How are we doing collectively? And this morning, where is the Lord prompting us? Where is he prompting you and pointing areas of your life out where you're motivated by selfish desires? Where are the areas of your life where where you and I have struggled to empty ourselves for the sake of others? That's our challenge today. If we're going to put this in practice, if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we've got to learn to empty ourselves as Christ emptied himself for us. What is it this morning you're feeling entitled to? 
that you're not getting your way? What are the preferences, even this morning, the preferences that were practiced at church that weren't the way you would do it or the way you would want it done? Those are the kinds of things Paul is pleading with us to put aside, to not allow to create distractions and disunity and disharmony. Jesus is asking you and me right now through the words of the Apostle Paul and through the prompting of his Holy Spirit to follow his way of living, to leave those entitlements and preferences behind, and to strive for harmony. To align our mindset, we must, as Paul said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And finally, to remind us of this principle, let me repeat what I've said before. For you and I to live a life worthy of the gospel, we must live in harmony with one another, demonstrating Christ's attitudes of unselfishness, humility, and sacrifice. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son in the ultimate act of humility who emptied himself of the glory and the honor that he had with you in heaven. Father, we're so grateful that we have a Savior who understands our frailty, who understands our vulnerability, who understands the difficulty of living this out. And Father, we have a Savior who did it for us, who lived this way perfectly, and who modeled for us a way of living that you call us to live every day. Father, my prayer for each of us in this room is that we would demonstrate what Jesus modeled in our lives, not only in our actions, Father, but in our attitudes and our motives. Father, my prayer is that you would sanctify and you would purify our minds, that we too would live this way, that we would think this way, that we would be able to set aside our preferences and our selfishness and live emptied lives for you. Father, we can only do this in the power that you give us, that Jesus has living in us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.